Hey there, lovely people, and welcome to the latest edition of The Finnovator. This one's kind of special to me. Um, my journey to doing what I do now, away from just standard consulting to financial planning businesses, really began with uh, getting involved in the tech startup scene, specifically with a business called Corporate Freedom, a glorious experiment, which unfortunately didn't succeed as a business, but it taught me a lot about the way that Silicon Valley start businesses and it led me on a route to being part of a consulting consortium, if you like, that wasn't hitting the mark for me to starting my own uh, brand in Adere and really forging a path which uh, ended up being a glorious adventure, resulting in programs, working with some great people. This particular uh, session I ran, I ran with NetWealth. Uh, it was funny story behind this one. Uh, I was actually due to do this um, with the NetWealth guys. They were all set up. And on the day I turned up at the office, gave them a call and they said, great, what time are you going to be here? Now at the time, I was in Sydney, still am, and they were in Newcastle, uh, not Newcastle, Melbourne. Uh, so you can imagine they were a little bit shocked to hear that I wasn't going to be in Melbourne that day, but it was kind of the beginning of, of uh, the realization you know, that it didn't really matter to do this kind of stuff where you were, which is something that I'm really glad to have coached a lot of businesses on with the remote engagement of clients. But anyway... This is, I think, a really key part. If you are sort of a business owner and you're wondering about how to free yourself from the constraints that a lot of traditional businesses have around marketing, around time, around technology, uh, around your marketing, I think this is a really good primer on how they do that whole starting businesses in Silicon Valley differently because it really is so different. Whether we're talking about lean startup or agile or customer-centric product development, the lessons that I've taken and I turned into coaching have led me down a path which I'm, I'm, I'm really, really happy it did uh, long-term. Uh, it's been a very rewarding journey. Um, I hope you enjoy it. Particularly, I'd love for you to take out of it. Um, is there anything in there which you think you could load your business up that would maybe change the way that you went out and found your market or alternatively maybe change the way that you created your service models because i think if you think about the difference between the fortune 500 50 years ago and the kind of businesses that seem to sprout up from nowhere uh, to global domination pretty quickly uh, it's hard not to look at those businesses and go wonder hmm how would they do it differently and that's exactly what this is about there's some real fuel in here uh, which kind of gives you an outline as to where our program, where, where the coaching with and where everything's come from. So I hope you enjoy this, applying a Silicon Valley mindset, and uh, I'll hand over to me to take you uh, through the journey. Let me tell you a bit about what to expect from today. What I'm going to be sharing today is just a few concepts that we're working on with our, our coaching clients uh, through our leverage program. And the promise that we make to them is to help them build a business model over the course of 12 months that enables them to, to toil less, to generate greater reward, and to have a better resource business to make it happen, which ultimately reduces the amount of stress on them. Let me tell you a bit about my style. I really, I love this stuff. So I'm, I'm going to go quite quickly. Uh, I have been accused of talking quickly, so uh, I'd love it if you could pop your fast ears on and stay with me. I may occasionally tell an odd, but it will be a relevant story, so please stay with me. The other thing is I'm not, I'm not going to pull any punches here. I'm going to share with you uh, stuff that's working for us and our clients, and I'm even going to touch upon some of the dumb stuff that didn't work. And I'll also talk about the things that still need to be overcome uh, if you're going to make this stuff work for you. In terms of content, my goal today is really simple. I'm going to pull three concepts from a bag of knowledge called 
uh, or a toolbox, if you like, called High Growth Tech Startup. And much of this is rooted in Silicon Valley thinking uh, to show you three of a total of 40 key principles that underpin uh, a leveraged advice firm. Because what I'm talking about today is really, it's a really about building an advice firm that smashes paradigms. I'm talking about how to build the kind of business that, uh, that doesn't have to solely rely on third parties to give you leads or a business that doesn't have to work hard to convert you know, suspicious prospects into clients, but instead has them calling you. A business that doesn't have to scrabble around to deliver on promises and uses technology and people to create you know, really significant client advocacy. And the kind of business that attracts talent in who stick around and really make an impact on, on a business. So the concepts we're gonna to touch upon today are three things. I wanna to touch on number one, how to automate your engagement so you can increase the velocity with which your prospects come to you and also increase the momentum with which they go from being clients to advocates who refer and endorse. The second thing we're gonna talk about is I think one of the biggest challenges many firms have when it comes to uh, getting the best out of their outsourced and in-source staff. We're gonna to touch on something called the plug and play system. Uh, it's also known as the Hollywood system, which is basically about how you can punch like a big business, yet continue to do so on a small business budget. And finally, we're gonna start talking about how you use your time, which when you, frankly, when you start to get to the level uh, where you've solved the lead flow uh, and business revenue problem is probably the most challenging uh, problem of all. And I'm gonna share with you uh, a really big time suck and a productivity hack straight off the bat to solve it all. And at the end of it all, I'm gonna give you that final bit in the puzzle so you can bridge that all important gap between, you know, that's a great idea to it's done and dusted and we're starting to get the benefits of it. Sound good? Excellent, okay. So let's kick off with our first question. What at the moment is the, the, the biggest thing that bugs you about being an advisor or running an advice firm? What's, what's holding you back? Uh, what's slowing you down? What's, what's, what's dragging you down? What's stopping it from being the experience you want it to be? Kim's saying finding clients is the, is the big thing that's holding it back. Maritza says getting new clients. <laughs> Shane's not happy with his licensee. Paperwork, what's the right technology? X-Plant admin, CRM's coming up again. Workflow tracking, compliance, uh, time management. Okay. So there's some, some common threads which are coming through which are around technology, it's around not finding the time, finding clients, great. So, so here, is, here are some questions I wanna ask. And firstly, I want you to write on a piece of paper, what was your revenue last month? Uh, and make this a typical month. If you had a, a particularly unusual or a low or a high month, then kind of give me your average revenue per month. Write, write it down on a piece of paper. So in other words, your ongoing revenue plus your upfront revenue, what was it? So when you've got that written down, I'd like you to write, just underneath it, what would you like it to be? What do you want your revenue to be? What's the difference between the two? What's the difference between the revenue you've got on a monthly basis and the revenue you want? So second question, this is just for you. So write this down on a piece of paper. First question is, how, how many hours did you work last week? And you know what, if, if, if last week was a particularly busy or a particularly quiet week, just give me your average number of hours, write them down on a piece of paper that you work per week. And when you've got that number down, I want you to write down underneath it, how many would you like that to be? Okay. Final question, what percentage of time did you, of that time that you just, uh, we spoke about last week, did you spend doing the things you love and the things that are gonna drive your business forward? What percentage of that time per week did you spend doing the things you love and will drive you forward? And then underneath it, write down what percentage of time would you like it to be? So here's the thing. So the gap between those numbers is the cost to you of not getting this sorted out. Frankly, it's a, it's a bit like those clients, you know, you had them come in, they don't take your advice. And the longer you continue not to address these the more it's gonna continue costing your business and probably compounding. 
So the goal from this webinar is to apply what we're talking about today to bridge that gap, uh, the gap between the revenue gap, and to do it whilst addressing that second and transition that percentage gap as well. And this is the reason why we're anchoring uh, this stuff in startup thinking. The essence of startup businesses is scale. The idea here is generate huge value for the end user, resulting in exponential revenue growth, but to do it in a way that isn't overly reliant on the founders and enables those founders to move away from what they used to do to get things started towards what they want to do to make an impact. It's that whole thing about Zuckerberg at Facebook doesn't do any coding anymore. He works in other areas. He's moved away. And I, I really want this for you because, frankly, if you don't close those gaps, then your ability to have that impact on people is always going to be constrained. So let's kick in. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to actually uh, I'm going to share as many case studies as I possibly can. And we're going to talk about this first uh, topic, which is about automating engagement. So I want to start by sharing with you a story about a client of mine called Adam. And I'm going to call this case study uh, 20 leads from six conversations. And bear with me, I'm going to explain uh, what it has to do with automating engagement. So uh, I've been working with Adam for some years now. It's the uh, it's kind of second time we've worked together. We worked together a, a while back on his pricing and then re-engaged uh, a little bit later to, 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 to widen the scope of our engagement. Uh, and before we met, Adam had the experience of running a seminar. And the seminar, as I recall it, it was something around uh, how to make your superannuation work for you. And he, he put it out there. He spent some money on a room. He marketed it, uh, but he found out that he, he just didn't get take up. Uh, so he ended up spending a bunch of money, not really getting people along. And he formed the view that, you know, seminars, they're a bit rubbish. Anyway, we met a little bit later and we looked into what Adam uh, had done. And I, I challenged him a bit and we went into detail about, you know, who are you trying to attract here? Um, which turned out to be IT contractors in the ACT area. So naturally, we started to talk about how to market what he was doing. And really, there were three problems that Adam had that were bubbling under the surface. The first one is he, he really wanted to generate a flow of new clients, which was going to feed his business. The second one is because of some stuff that was going on, he just couldn't rely on a referral partner to do it for him. Uh, they kind of had issues of their own, so it wasn't an option to lean on them to give the referrals. And the problem three was he just didn't want to spend a bunch of money to you know, entertain an empty room. So the real problem that was going on here was frankly that uh, there was nothing of value to offer. Adam was putting something out there and people just didn't see value in it, so they weren't coming along. And the question is, What's the easiest way to get people to come along and to take an interest and fill a room and engage with you? And the answer to that question is just to get a speaker to talk about something that your target market are really interested in and they need and is relevant to their situation. So what we started to do is a bit of a research piece. We put together some questions and what we were really trying to understand was what was the biggest concern this particular niche target market had at this particular point in time? So we could help fix that problem, sort of position the business right next door to that problem and really get attention. So the story goes, we started talking to some of Adam's clients and we had a list of 10, but a really interesting thing started to happen. During these conversations, uh, because we were asking all these questions, people, people started to gravitate towards taking an interest in Adam and what he was doing. There's a fascinating uh, psychological effect called the Benjamin Franklin effect. Go and Google it. And it's, it's the idea that when you start asking people for small favors, they naturally start to take more of an interest in what you're doing. Um, so off the back of that, something weird happened. He ended up getting uh, from six conversations referred to five other people, just like the people we were having conversations with, as well as he got referred to a potential referral partner. Um, 
Now, a lot of this was down to Adam's skill in unlocking the, the conversation and, and asking them to put him in contact. But ultimately, they were happy to put them in contact with other people. Anyway, that was the first thing that happened. He ended up generating uh, business and contacts off that. But the second thing that happened was a theme started to emerge. And in discussions with these clients, we found out that a big concern at this particular time was upcoming government cut, cuts and by extension, potential redundancies. So we had a possible topic of interest, you know, how to make yourself indispensable as a contractor. So what was really super cool is we ended up talking to one of these contractor clients uh, and she turned around and said, look, hey, I actually happen to be a speaker. And what I talk about is basically how to increase your hourly rate while making yourself indispensable. So he ran this event, which was literally her speaking about how to make yourself indispensable and increase your hourly rate at the same time. And the event was sold out. Uh, I think they got 50 or 60 people registered and they got a really, really good turnout rate. And off the back of that, they ended up getting 15 leads that came through and have a conversation. So off the back of this research project, they generated 20 conversations with clients. And the main thing here, I think the main point of this story is they did it by focusing not on what they wanted to talk about, but by focusing completely on what the client needed. So what's this got to do with automating marketing? Well, here's the thing. Uh, there's a guy in uh, the US called Dean Jackson. Uh, and he's, he, he kind of does what I do, but in the real estate space. And he's got a theory called cheese and whiskers. It's, it's, it's brilliant. He says that clients, prospects, they're like mice. And his rationale is pretty good because mice are actually used in uh, lab experiments because of the way they think. They tend to think a bit like us. And he says that mice are basically motivated by two things, cheese and avoiding cats. I know in the human condition, cheese is good stuff. It's, you know, it's uh, happiness, wealth, security, love, all that, all, that, all that awesome stuff. Cats, bad stuff. Hassle, expense. It's potentially sometimes even being told or being exposed to the uncomfortable truth. Now, here's the thing. What we don't realize as advisors is, is we're cats. You know, frankly, most people out there would rather do anything possible to get access to the information you have rather than to take charge of their financial situation, rather than having to sit down and talk to a financial advisor. Many people just aren't ready for that step. But if you look at most advice businesses, what's the way they market? Well, they market they turn around and say, hey, you know, come and sit with us. Let's have a first appointment. And all the client hears is that's a meeting with a cat. I mean, the name itself, first appointment, it infers a second appointment. So in many ways, you're kind of crippling yourself from the start. So the point here is you've got two tools at your disposal when it comes to bringing clients into your business. The first one is sales and the second one is marketing. Now, personally, if I'm given the opportunity, I'm sitting opposite a prospect and I have the opportunity of either, you know, um, giving them a brochure that tells them what I do or talking to them, asking some questions. I will talk to them every single time, selling someone on what you do, asking them questions, finding out what their problems are and working out whether you can help and articulating it back to them in a way that makes them realize, you know what? We could work together. That is a better conversion tool than any marketing brochure. But here's the problem. It's time consuming. If I have to do that process with every single person I meet, it's not a fast process. And I think the key idea to get hold of here is that marketing is about delivering your message and selling is about what you do when they call you. So what Silicon Valley does really, really well is they realize that if you have to sell your proposition to every client that comes through the door, you're going to have to bring in armies of salespeople to make it happen which by definition is inefficient and often uh, restricted to growth. So instead, what the Valley do is they focus on building something that, uh, instead of focusing on some, building something that needs to be sold, 
They're trying to focus on building something that people want. And even if they have a product that requires a sale because it's complex or it's high cost, like advice is, then they're priming the client to understand what the solution is and why they need it so well that by the time the conversation starts, you know, the conversion's half done. Now it's just about clarifying how it applies to the client, answering any unanswered questions and inviting a decision. The problem is if you market the way you sell, it ends up sounding a bit like this, you know, hey, uh, we can help you solve your lifestyle goals. We can help you solve the financial problems holding you back. We can help you get clarity. We can help you get security, peace of mind. It's true, but from a marketing perspective, in, that, in, a, in a world where there's so much noise out there, it's, it's kind of weak. Very few people wake up in the morning and go, hey, I want to get my lifestyle objective, objectives in order today, or I want to achieve security. Some do, but the majority don't. What they do is they wait. What they do do is wake up in the morning and realize I have a need. I have a problem in my life right here and now that I need to get sorted and I'm motivated to do it. And I really need to get the best rated mortgage or, oh my God, someone at work uh, just uh, dropped dead and I need to make sure that my family are protected or my money is flowing out of my bank account and I don't know why. I need some help to get this in order. These are problems that you can market. You can go out and say, do you have this problem and would you like to solve it? You know, would you like this outcome? Let me tell you a bit about our system for solving it. The model that we work with is based on the idea of getting the prospect and leads to contact you and come in ready to make a decision. But hang on a moment. What, what on earth has this got to do with automation, Stu? Well, here's the link. If you can get this one concept right in your business and you can start focusing predominantly on what clients' needs are as opposed to, or what wants are as opposed to leading with you know what you want to talk about or telling the client what they need or what you want to deliver, it gives you the ability to automate much of what you do. Let me, let me kind of show you what I mean. So uh, we have a five-step process that we work with all new clients through called the client flow map. And this is basically where we map out, you know, that, that question about how are prospective clients going to become aware of your business and get to the point where they end up being uh, fee-paying clients. And let me just walk you through how it works. So up here at the top of the funnel, we have the general public. And down here, we've got two offers that most advice businesses want to make. The first one is, hey, come on board and become a client. And the second one here is, to become an ongoing client that is also an advocate of the business. So the first step, and I think just to elaborate, I think one of the big problems that many business advice businesses uh, have or the mistakes they make is they try and convert the general public, public, public straight over to becoming a client, having that, that conversation. In actual fact, the first step is we need to make them aware. We need to get their attention. Uh, and there's a various different challenges you can do. Social media is one, strategic partnerships are another. Um, client referrals are another one, direct advertising. But the moment they become aware, they become suspects. It doesn't necessarily mean they're ready to engage, but that potentially they've had a look at you and they, uh, they, I've got a bit of awareness of what you are. At this point though, again, a lot of businesses lead by saying, come in and become a client. But for many people, it's still too soon. So the next step is we wanna make them engage. Uh, we wanna make them take action uh, with you in a way that's non-threatening, you know, because uh, we don't wanna have the cat around. They go from being a suspect into a prospect, and the change that occurs is they've, they've made a decision to willingly give you their details, usually uh, an email in exchange for a valuable piece of information, insight, often via your website. Now, in our program, we call it creating a, a lead magnet or a value bomb. It's usually some piece of downloadable content, checklists, uh, short eBooks that enables them to get an understanding of what your expertise is. At this point, they've got an understanding that you know what you're doing, and more importantly, the things that you do are relevant to them. So we want to get them to from, go from engaged to get into a convertible situation. And they go from being a prospect to a lead. 
by giving them a low intensity way that they can take the next step. Typically, it's via a webinar, a seminar, or some other event that is ideal, ideally economical in time or delivered to multiple leads at the same time, which gives them the opportunity to take your information and realize that it's time to have a conversation with you because they're aware both of their own issues and the fact that they need a solution of which you are the catalyst and the most obvious source. And we call this a conversion event combined with uh, what we call a follow-up and nurture strategy. So they go from being a lead to a client because they enter your sales process and then they become an ongoing client that pays you the fees that you deserve and you love working with. So that's the process, but let's, let's chat through the numbers. So let's start at the end. How many advocate clients do you want? For most businesses, uh, the answer is probably around 80 to 120 ongoing clients who love what you do and pay your fees per advisor. So to do that, let's say you begin by converting, you know, roughly 50% of those clients who walk in the door to advocates. So ideally, if uh, that, that frankly is a low number, and ideally if you're applying this stuff really, really well, you're going to be getting to a place where that's, uh, that's a lot higher. But let's say that means you need 200 appointments with clients per advisor, uh, not, not counting any drop-off or anything like that. So the big question is how many leads do you need to generate? Well, let's say for a second we forget about manual lead gen and we start looking to automate some of this stuff. I think you probably one in four. So you need about 800, which then leads you to say, well, in order to generate 800 leads, people are willing to get into a convertible situation. Uh, how many prospects do you need? Let's say it's about 4,000. One in five then made that decision, um, which means we're probably, in order for you to generate those 4,000, you probably need to touch, I think, around 20,000, which is based on the idea that, you know, 20% of Australians get advice. Um, so you need to make 20,000 people aware of your business per advisor for you to grow at the speed you want to. Now, if you have to do all this in a manual way, what impact is that going to have on your business's ability to grow? It's going to be pretty slow, especially when you realize that your future competition is looking at ways of doing this via automation and other scalable marketing, right? So it's time to get a bit smarter. And the real bigger problem with this, frankly, is usually not that you're not a great advisor or you don't have a great business. Mainly, it's simply that you don't have a marketing system or you've got a marketing system that probably isn't going to stand the few tests of time because it doesn't consistently consistently and predictably convert suspects into clients and advocates. You see, there's a number of ways to market. Each has its own pros and cons with regard to you know, the speed to do it and the effort. But the second part of this, beyond that, is I think about automating, is a lot of businesses I tend to think that their job is done when the client comes through the door and they're on board. And I'm gonna suggest that if you're letting clients come on board and make up the decision for themselves as to whether they got value, you are missing out on a massive opportunity. Let me explain more. There is an awesome book called uh, Slow Down, Sell Faster by a guy called Kevin Davis. And he put, puts forward this really uh, infectious idea that it's not the sales process that matters, it's actually client's buying process. Uh, and he talks about four steps that uh, people go through when they're making a buying decision. So step one, they wake up in the morning and they feel different than they did yesterday. They realize, you know what, there's something that I need. And what do we do when we realize that we need something? Well, step two is we, we start to research. And by the way, this is where the problem starts because the availability of information, particularly in the internet age, has made the research process actually often detrimental to taking action. It makes people procrastinate for a whole bunch of reasons. So once I've got my fill of research, I move on to step three. I go into buying mode. And this is where the war between buyer acceptance and buyer reluctance wages. But eventually, I make a decision and I spill into what's called the value stage. And the value stage 
step four in this is really important because this is the point that one of two things either happen. I either come to regret my purchase and I enter into buyer's remorse, you know, for whatever reason, I suddenly realize that the thing that I thought I was going to get out of this, it's, it's not going to happen. But what we really want to happen is you want clients to flip into a, self, a state of self-affirmation. We call it the advocacy reflex. So what is this? Well, who here has ever, you know, loved a car and suddenly you, you sell your car and you buy a new car and suddenly, you know, that, that old car used to be the best thing ever, but the new car, wow, now that's amazing. Uh, if you used to have an iPhone, um, but you switch over to Samsung and suddenly you, you, you know, you're not an Apple fan anymore. You're a Samsung lover and the iPhone is just, it's passe. This is self-affirmation. It's humans' natural capability to convince themselves of a good decision if the right environmental uh, factors are, are in place. I think the second part of this is a lot of businesses I meet suffer inefficiencies because they can't get clients to respond to what they're doing. You know, someone, someone really smart once said to me, every single element of the way that people interact with you, you taught them to do it that way. So the idea behind this is everything you do, every way that your clients interact, the way that they respond to your business, how they get back to you by email, when they phone you, how they phone you, the kind of emails they send you, the time they send the emails, they do it because you train them to do it. Um, I remember an advisor once turned around to me and said, Stu, how can I get my clients to stop phoning me on the weekend? And the answer is just stop answering the phone. They'll, they'll stop pretty quickly. If you can get around the idea that what happens in the first 90 days after you bring a client on board across five different touch points that you have with a client, you'll realize that the path to turning clients from being just clients into advocates can be totally automated and it can be controlled and it can be systematized. And it's five touch points. They look a bit like this. You have to ask yourself on those first 90 days, what are you doing to inform your clients, to let them know the key information that will make the path ahead seem easier without overwhelming them? You know, telling them the right stuff at the right time. What are you doing to pace clients? So let them know where they are in the journey and what's next. What are you doing to excite clients? You know, to paint a picture of the future ahead and keep them moving forward by attraction. Uh, what are you doing to delight them? You know, to deliver small touches that uh, make clients happy. You know, a handwritten letter or a welcome pack or a personal check-in after 60 days. Hotels, by the way, they do this really, really well. They are all over this 1% of small touch points. And the final bit in the puzzle is what are you doing to indoctrinate clients? Now, I know this sounds like a, a horrible word, but it's purely about teaching the client how to engage with you, you know, what they should watch out for, when they should call you, what's available to them, uh, and what to value. Let me give you the practical side. If you can map it out on paper, you can automate it. So what, what I do, and what a lot of my clients do, is there's a, I think there's a sheet of paper you can buy at IKEA. It's like $7 uh, and a bunch of pens. And just grab some paper, put it, get your team together, uh, get your pens, put it on a big piece of paper, and, and make it visual. You know, draw it out. Uh, particularly for the 90 day, I'd say get a piece of paper, write the write the uh, the categories, and then get some post-it notes and brainstorm. Come up with a bunch of stuff. Work out uh, what to put it in. If you're going to deliver this stuff via CRM, if you're going to use X Plan or you're going to use something else, whatever it is, make your emails and your videos go out automatically. Uh, have reminders for your team to reach out and make contact, or get really smart with audio messages, or, or frankly, find an external business. Uh, who'll do the delivery bit for you. You know, people who'll write the handwritten letters or people who'll send out postcards. I think you've got a choice here. Even if you're still getting a good flow of clients in, I, want, I really want you to ask uh, that key question about how you're doing it. Because even if you're in good shape, the landscape is changing. And much of it is changing not because of the way that online business has changed the way that people engage with commerce 
Although personally, I think there's merit in the idea that every business now is an online business in some way, but because it's changed the way that we all work and the way that we do business. So I think you've got two choices here. You can keep doing things the way you are. Uh, you can work hard to get leads in, but you're going to possibly lose the opportunity to automate that journey from suspect to raving fan. And if the fin protect, fintech predictions are right, there is the potential we're going to see some market share loss because people never become aware of your firm and capability because they're being uh, sort of poached further up the funnel by people who are communicating better in those ways. Or you can get on board. You can start playing in this space now rather than later whilst you know it's easy and it's getting harder. And you just start to try new things. And when there's a space, you can try to do it all yourself and start from scratch, make the mistakes other people have, or you can do it a lot smarter and kind of model what's already working. So tweak it for your business and stand on other people's shoulders. And the shift I'd love to help you make is to go from thinking that the only way to get clients is via the old, more labor-intensive methods to realizing you know, that the online world has created uh, a second, more powerful means to reach thousands of people who could potentially need what you have to offer. If you can just speak their language, and by working hard once to create lead flow, a lead flow funnel that's going to work for you whilst you get on with other things. And that shift will also change the way that you engage because honestly, uh, I don't think anyone wants to deal with an advisor who barely has time enough to organize themselves, let alone uh, take care of you know their clients and prospects. Three key lessons from this step. Firstly, being a great advisor isn't enough anymore. You've got to get out there and let people know. Uh, even if you're one of these people who kind of believes in merit, and I'm totally with you, you need to get out there and, and build something so people can find you. Most people aren't looking for an advisor. They're looking to solve problems. So start talking to them about what the problems are. Don't try and market the way that you sell, especially nowadays. That, that tends to repel people. Uh, pool marketing is totally the way forward. And uh, look, the big message is take the opportunity to automate your market. The impact of getting this right is you're going to spend less time in the attraction phase. Your deal flow increases. You get less effort converting and your business just does the work of creating advocates instead of you, which is what's, uh, what we're looking for. Okay, cool. Let's kick on like a boss. Let's kick into principle number two, which is plug and play. Let me hit you up with another case study. Here's another client of mine, Craig, that I absolutely love to work with. Um, Craig and I have known each other, wow, for about four or five years. Uh, I, hope, I hope there's no background noise. Just got a plane going overhead, so bear with me. Uh, uh, we first actually met at an FPA event uh, that we ran God, ages, ages ago, it was called Elevate. And Craig actually stood on stage and told this awesome story about getting thrown out of a client's house for talking about insurance. The client then phoned him back the next day and apologized. It was a great story. Anyway, Craig became a client on our new program in January this year. And uh, yeah, he's really gone on to, to kick some amazing goals. He's, he's doubled his fees from his financial coaching, which is where he's going with it. And he's doing great. He's getting, he's getting incredible traction from LinkedIn as well. He, I think about a month ago, he generated 140 likes from a photo of when his car got broken into. Um, plus, he's, he started his own brand called True Pride. You should check it out. He's got, it's a wonderful website. Um, and, you know, frankly, he's a, he's a good-looking guy. He's got an amazing partner, and he surfs every day, and he's about six foot ten. so he's, he's that guy. Anyway, Craig is also your classic high achiever. Uh, we started to work together. Um, I started to work together. We quickly realized that he was working at a pace that, you know, it just wasn't sustainable. He was going to burn out. And Craig's no stranger to hard work. And there are times in a business where you, you need to put your pedal to the floor. But this was next level stuff. And I think the, the, the main problems were, firstly, he had a VA. It was taking him longer to brief and design and tell her what to do than it was to her to do the work. So he's constantly feeding the engine and feeling like he was spending more time organizing her than the other way around. 
Secondly, he was deep into his email 24 seven. Uh, and it was making him miserable because if you're in your email, you're generally not efficient. The third problem is he was doing it all. He was designing the processes. He was designing the marketing to every email and often doing it over and over again. How about you? I've just mentioned three things there. Which one's most relevant to you? Are you is your problem that it's taking longer for you to brief staff on how to do things? Is yours you know, deep in the email, distracted, or is it more about the fact that you're the one doing it all? Do you know what Craig's big problem was, the real problem? Is that he didn't have a system for managing the inevitable need to connect the way that he worked and how he wanted to work with other people to do it. So basically, he was approaching the engagement of staff a bit like an air traffic controller when he should have been approaching it like a commander. So what's the difference between the two? Well, in my mind at least, uh, there's no filter between an air traffic controller and the incoming work. He or she is it. And they need to direct the planes at a micromanagement level to avoid disaster. And I guess that's one of the reasons why it's still seen as one of the most uh, stressful jobs in the world. A commander, on the other hand, is about receiving information, managing the flow of tasks and priorities, and then setting the direction for the ship. You see, Craig's issue, was he was managing tasks for his VA, defining each element, recording them into his project manage soft, management software, everything. We switched in, we switched him using a, a four-step process that we call the VA onboarding to make sure that he defined what he needed from his team, how he wanted to be communicated to, what information he needed on a weekly and a daily basis, and finally, uh, which systems that he'd previously used were now going to be managed by someone else. And we began with email, calendar, uh, and we got Lisa to do a bunch of client onboarding work that were no longer going to sit with him. He was no longer going to do it. Uh, and after about a week, after we'd sat down and done this session uh, with his new VA Lisa, he got on the Facebook group that we run and he recorded this message. Uh, he sent us this message. Lisa is an absolute gun. She's mastered my emails already. Got less than 10 emails to action at the end of each day since Tuesday. She booked a first appointment for you today and has awesome initiative. Really excited about the time that it would free up. Uh, the following week, he came again onto the Facebook group and said, uh, yeah, Lisa prepared four vision documents with no errors. I had a seminar in Bendigo, went really, really well, and just finishing off the last of our licensee documents. The ideal work worked really well. When I explained the reason behind it to Alison and Lisa, every meeting next week is in the right allocation of time. And when I saw that, I had a massive smile on my face, did a little Irish jig. Yeah, I was happy about that. And that was in the first couple of weeks alone. The reality is when it comes to working with staff, whether they're outsourced or insourced, uh, and assuming you've hired well to begin with, the difference between having a star performer and a sea anchor, if anyone doesn't know a sea anchor, it's something you put out behind the boat, slows you down, uh, is 100% how well you prepared to plug them into your business and onboard them properly. You see, here's the opportunity. We live in one of the greatest times ever, I think, to be in small business. The things that we can do now as business owners, 20 years ago, were the exclusive remit of, uh, of large organizations that could afford the wages to employ specialists. But nowadays, it's possible for small businesses to access resources that previously, you know, only large companies could afford. Now, add to the fact, if you're a small business, you can move more quickly. As in, you can have an idea, you can test it and get something out there in a week instead of six months. You've got a market that is just begging you to have a go. For example, 20 years ago, if you wanted to build a commercial website, you were looking at 5 million bucks, a team of 10 engineer, engineers working for about a year, and a management function to look after it. Now, you can have a website up and running like Craig did in a weekend at no cost. And if you've taken on board the, the stuff we spoke about earlier about you know focus on what people want, what they're looking for, and have, you've got a good message, well, you can be getting clients in the, in, the, in the door the following week. 
You can, like I did, you can get a statistics professor from the Ukraine to analyze your research uh, project, to make conclusions that, frankly, I wouldn't have found in a month of Sundays. Or you could get a travel consultant and a graphic designer to pull together a full color brochure present to present to a retiring client a week after they came to ask you if they can afford their round-the-world trip. That was a true story. Uh, running a session for uh, Hill Ross, an advisor called Murray told, told that story. You could go, do you know what? You could go a little bit more mundane. Just find someone to put together a brochure, do some editing, edit your videos, pull together a logo, design an online calculator as, as, as we've done numerous times, build your member site, a hundred other tasks that you may currently be doing, but if you're honest, you probably should stop. The freelance economy is there and it's waiting to make life easier for you and increase your profit margins. I'm assuming there that if you had more time in your week, you'd know how to apply it to increase your revenue if that's where you're looking for. All you have to do is get onto it. The fact is as a small business, you can pivot, you can twist, you can turn, and you can find opportunities that large organizations would take months in meetings, uh, committees, and other bureaucracy to sign off on. And in doing so, uh, you, can, you can be part of the opportunity to really drive the industry forward. You know, focus on delivering better outcomes for clients. And frankly, you can be a rock star at the same time. If you can't plug and play though, you know, the opposite is true. Uh, the future of work is something called the Hollywood system. In making movies, studios don't employ massive teams of technicians, actors, directors, or other specialists. Um, the model went out the window and many futurists suggest we're, we're seeing something similar occur in the workforce. Instead, what, what they do, animate videos, says Natisha, um, instead of what you can do, what Hollywood does is they pull together the right people whose skill sets suit a particular project or a film uh, and can help that, that studio get the specific outcome they want. So the skills for that exact task, instead of trying to get generalists to adapt. Then when the movie is filmed and it's done, everyone heads off to the next project and a new team is formed. That's what I'm talking about. And it's got the opportunity to change the way that you approach, you know, marketing your business, the way you deliver value, how you get to a place where you can be the GM instead of the one doing it all without having to spend, you know, a wage bill, which is the size of NetWealth's online marketing spend. So the bottom lines are start with an audit. Look, sit down and work out what are all the things you do. Work out what you're great at and work out what's going to drive you forward and then find other people to, uh, to, sell, to, to, to outsource the other or delegate the stuff to. Employ a really structured onboard process to train them and then get them building the processes in behind you often using technology, video, and all that other stuff that if you've worked with people overseas just becomes uh, second nature. The two extremes here are really simple. Uh, on one hand, you have a business that continues to either make do or employ physical staff to do things, potentially, uh, well, not even physical, I mean, you know, same location, uh, getting generalists to undertake specialist work. Or on the other hand, you can develop the means to plug in the right people at the right time. So you get clear on what they do and what you do and you systematize the heck out of the way you're on board and transfer knowledge. Let's move on. Let's summarize the key lessons. Number one, you can't do it all. If, you, if your plan is to grow, uh, it's really, really important that you're able to uh, give up things. Stop doing the work for those who are meant to do the work. Um, don't get generalists doing specialist work because the, the outcome is going to be more expensive and, less, uh, and lower quality. And being able to plug in new resources into your firm, I think is as important as being able to attract new clients and manage your existing. Cool. I'm going to crack on to principle three. And this one's all about hacking time, but here's the message I'm going to deliver to you. Stop typing. Let me explain that. I'm going to go really specific. I'm going to go very direct on a tech aspect. And I'm going to go deep on one particular issue, which is a, you know, one of a number that we work on as part of the leverage program. Let me hit you with another case study. 
Uh, this is Jeff, Jeff Whitten, another member of our program. I love working with Jeff. Uh, he runs a really, uh, really smart multi-site uh, business up in the Central Coast. He's one of these guys who just throws himself uh, in with everything. And one of the things that we sat down and chatted about, chatted about when we, we, we did his first game plan session to kick him off on the program was one of the problems was he just had too much on. In particular, uh, he had a backlog of advice documents, a backlog of file notes, a whole bunch of backlogs of things. And as a result, the business was kind of waiting for him to get things done. Three problems were, were jumped out. First one, he just didn't have time to do anything. Uh, as a result, everyone was waiting for him. He was the bottleneck. And I think a little bit deep down, he didn't really want to change. But the impact he was having is he just had this ever-growing backlog that could only be solved uh, by long hours if he was doing what he's always, always done. So what's the real problem here? Well, I think it was that Jeff had all this technology. He had a CRM system to hold the data, a directory structure to hold it all, a word processor so he could type. But you know what? The tech was making it worse, not better. So I kept pushing him to embrace technology. Uh, and Jeff isn't an inflexible guy, and he's not a technophobe, but he just didn't get around to it. There was always something else. So we ended up, <laughs> I think you know how it is. You, you make a recommendation to a client. You outlay how to make their world better, but still they resist. It's not logical, but it's just the way we, we are. So eventually, we sat there on an online coaching meeting, and uh, I say, hey, you know, are, you, are we going to do this? He says, oh, I'll get around to it. So I said, well, here's the thing. I'm going to grab uh, my iPhone, and we're going to dictate a file note right here and now, and we're going to get it done, and I'm going to show you how, how much better it is. And he, he looked at me, and he said, you're going to make me do this, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, yeah, but I, I really like to type my file notes. It's what I do. And what we did is I introduced him to a three-step system using a tool called Rev, which is a, a really great uh, – recording app uh, on your phone, which also enables you to send off uh, files to get transcribed, uh, usually within an hour. I gave him a structure for actually putting in front of him and recording file notes off the bat. And secondly, we linked it to, to Dropbox. So all his file notes would automatically upload. So the team could just grab them almost immediately and start actioning them. And it was crazy. He, he delivered this file note that apparently he, he wasn't comfortable doing in three and a half minutes, and it was textbook. Uh, we, we, we ran the words through and we reckon it would have taken him 20 minutes to do it in total. So he went from doing something that took 20 minutes to something that took three and a half minutes. Next week, he emailed me through, or he put it in the Facebook group uh, to say, smashing file notes on Rev, 14 done this week, still lots to do, but getting there. 14 in 20% uh, of the time. I think he said, I think it was that, he saved four hours that week. Um, and this is one of a whole bunch of tech hacks we're exploring, uncovering, and sharing within the program. Craig actually shared me, recently shared one with me that's going to change the way that I manage uh, sort of form communications templates within the team. It's actually one that I'd written off until he reintroduced it to me, which shows the power of case studies. So what's the link with Silicon Valley here, you might be asking? Well, here's the big message. Start using technology and stop letting tech use you. Who came up with the dumb idea that just because uh, someone invented email, a world full of untrained typists would now default to recording every thought, communicating every idea via the medium of a, a keyboard. No one did. Like many things, it's just what we all uh, defaulted to. They didn't do it in the 50s. If my huge historical knowledge gained from watching Mad Men is right, they had trained professionals who were skilled at being able to record the spoken word in shorthand and then type it up at around five times the speed of, of most mere mortals. And that's sufficient. You typing up file notes, that's not. I could go on and on about this topic, about the way the advisors I meet hamstring themselves 
uh, day in, day out with the way that they, you know, they plan out or they don't plan out their years, their months, their weeks, their days, or frankly, the way that we allow technology to interrupt our flow when we need to focus on solving complex financial problems, or how the layout of advice firms, you know, reduces your chances of getting productive work to almost statistically zero. See, that's another feature of Silicon Valley I, I really think is worth embracing. The idea that if something's not improving a situation, if it's not adding something vital or taking something unneeded, it doesn't have a place. I've, my philosophy is you can only get so much more efficient. I think 10 to 20%, elimination is where you pull the big numbers. Saying no is hard. It's one of the hardest skills to learn as an entrepreneur, and especially if you're someone whose whole motivation is to help others. But if you're going to scale your advice firm, you have to learn how to say no and make it a habit. I think Steve Jobs nailed it when he said, people think focus means saying yes to the thing you've got, you've got to focus on, but that's not what it means. It means saying no to the hundred other good ideas that are out there. You have to pick carefully. Innovation is saying no to a hundred, a thousand things. Technology can and will help your business and your productivity, but you, you've got to pick wisely and you've got to be willing to let things go, uh, let go of things along the way. So here's the opportunity. I think life's getting more, uh, more complex. Uh, the world we live in is, uh, is more detailed and data-rich than the one our grandparents grew up with. And probably the one our kids grew up in will probably be even more so. I heard Kevin Kelly talking to Tim Ferriss the other day uh, in his podcast, which is incredible. If you don't listen to it, grab it. It's, it's brilliant. And he made a really great point. He said that despite all the criticism about lack of attention span people have these days or how we skim information, if you think about it, it's the only rational response to the growing amount of information out there. If you can't skim, what's your option? So the game moving forward is elimination. What you can skim over more quickly so you can go deep on the things that really matter and have the insight to know what they are. There's a reason when you explore the trends uh, that are popular amongst Silicon Valley leaders that the most common ones are, you know, that pop up are saying no, mindful practice, stoicism, simplification, and other practices that are about greater awareness of what's important versus what's time consuming. The bottom line is uh, the path to creating a better advice firm isn't about adding. It's not about adding in more information or more marketing ideas or trying a hundred things at once or attracting everyone and their dog into your marketing funnel or about adding more services or implementing a suite of new features in your CRM because the tech provider thinks that more equals better. The answer is often working out what you're doing that's eating up your time versus getting results. Uh, we got a process that we run our clients through. We do it with their service offer, but it's, you know what? It's just as relevant for your activities and those of your clients. Grab a big sheet of paper and draw two axes, effort on one side, value on the other. Anything that sits in the top left, uh, high value and low effort, do more of that stuff. This is the things that's going to make your business fly. Anything down in the bottom left, the low value, low effort space, you've got a call to make. If it's not hard to do, sure, but is it something really something to keep going with? Top right, anything here in the high value, high effort, it's time to start looking for ways to do it differently because your current way is going to be a chain around your neck if you don't. And make sure, frankly, you're charging for this too because the fastest way to scale an advice business is fees. Uh, anything uh, in the bottom right, low value, high effort space, will just stop it. Ask the question why you've continued to endure with it despite the indication that it's not worth doing. Don't continue doing it. Uh, thinking otherwise, or you'll find yourself maybe facing your own Steve Jobs model uh, moment and, and or Apple moment and not, not the good one. The big game here is to, I think, is to flip your service model from one-to-one -one being the majority of the way you engage with clients to one-to-one -one being the pinnacle of how you engage. And the way you do that is to replace your time-consuming offerings uh, with automation 
and one too many opportunities, tech enabled or otherwise. Stop doing things that are average too and start thinking about the one percenters. We talked about the, 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 the hotels do this really well. You know, how to deliver remarkable reviews that clients actually remark about and tell others. So the options here are two. On one hand, you have a chance to continue to add in complexity to your business, trying to find technology to help, but maybe not making the distinction between functional and useful. And what that's going to mean is often that you stay slow, weighed down, and frankly, you're probably going to run out of energy too early. On the other hand, you're going to start to look for practices that actually result in better outcomes, more time, less friction, and uh, you're putting in place a filter that makes sure that the stuff that gets in your let's do it box only does it because it's good for you, it's good for your business, it's good for your clients, which gives you velocity and lightness of action. Okay, let's summarize the key lessons. First one, uh, Silicon Valley thinking suggests that what you say no to is probably the hardest skill to learn on your way to becoming world-class entre uh, world entrepreneur. The world wants to sell you their solution. It's up to you to construct the filter. In fact, here's a suggestion, only subscribe to three sources of information. Everything else, newsletters, unsubscribe. Number three, Tech is going to solve issues, but the key here is to know which ones to solve to create the right result. And frankly, the habits that you need to adopt in order to have them in place. And finally, perfection is it's taking things away. It's not adding them in. So first things first, I'm, I'm not sure what motivated you to come here today, what it was about the content that spoke to where you're at as an advisor or a business owner or the outcomes you're seeking or the issues that you're banging up against. But I really, really hope that you've taken sort of from today some insight and how Silicon Valley has changed and is continuing to change the way that business is done. And a little bit of insight into how uh, I'm working with businesses to, uh, to make it happen. There's, uh, there's about 40 principles that underpin uh, this in terms of an advice plan. We've covered three core ones, which are firstly, automate your marketing. This isn't about having to completely change how you do everything, but it is about realizing that the marketing environment has changed and it's gonna continue to change. So it may be time to begin to adjust your approach. Uh, we spoke about plug and play. All the resources you need are available like never before. But if you can't systematize that onboarding piece, you're going to struggle to make the leap from small business to leverage business. And finally, stop typing, which kind of led us to that bigger conversation uh, about how the real challenge is to start using technology and stop letting technology use you. One of the common questions I get at this stage is whether every advice firm can go for this kind of leverage model. And the answer, I think, is most definitely not. This isn't going to work for you as a firm if, number one, you, you really love your old obsolete business model. If that's you, you're probably better off not going for something like this. Uh, if you're a business that's kind of struggling to attract clients or you're under about maybe $30,000 a month of revenue, you probably don't need a scale solution. You probably need some lead gen. I'm happy to provide uh, some suggestions, but uh, most likely I'm going to point you sort of in, in a direction of that. Uh, and I think the third thing is if you're, if you're not really willing to put the work in to make it happen, then it's not going to happen. I'm, I'm a great believer in work hard once, uh, but you do need to do the work up front to create the model. So look, uh, if you're not in one of those spaces as a business and you are interested in, in more information, I, I run a coaching program called the Leveraged Advice Firm uh, that helps businesses get the kind of results we're talking about, which are namely to increase profit, reduce the amount of effort to do so, and you know just resource up to make it happen. We work across three areas, which is namely how to attract new business more easily, how to systematize delivery uh, to existing clients and really how to assemble the right team and get them firing. The way it works is pretty simple. It's a 12 month program where we work together to define a plan for your business. Uh, we deliver you the content uh, needed to implement and then you get support in terms of coaching from me and peer group support from other firms in the program. And delivery 
is a blend of one-to-one -one coaching, uh, mastermind sessions, and a whole bunch of tools, templates, and the like. Generally, I've designed it for three kinds of business. If you're at a reasonable revenue, but you're looking for ways to scale up, absolutely, this is the program for you. Uh, Number two, if you're really good with clients, you give good advice, but it all just takes a little bit longer to get things done than you'd like, I can absolutely help you. And if you know what kind of business you want or how you want things to look, but you're missing a few ideas as to how to make it work, then again, I can help. And if you're doing something a little bit outside the box, uh, then doubly so. Uh, as a guide, if you get this right, you really should be aiming to increase your revenue by about 30% during the course and reduce your work line by, by at least 20%. So if, you, uh, if you'd like to find out if and how I can help and identify, you know, identify the major constraints in your business, book a call and we'll jump on and talk about your business. And in that session, we'll talk specifically about your business, your situation, and the things you need to do to move forward. Uh, and you can book it all by visiting the link, which I'm going to, which is calendly.com forward slash stubell forward slash audit. And it's going to take you to a page that looks like that. And if you, if you can't get the link, Stay on the line, uh, put your email in the Q&A box and we'll chat. I've got a little bit of time next week, not a bunch of time. Uh, but yeah, if, if you can get a time, pick a time that suits, I'll call you. And that's about it. Hey, do you want to uh, jump into some questions, Keely? There's a few questions coming through, but to start with, is it good in your opinion, Stuart, to not market if you don't have a good process yet? So if, you haven't, if you're not ready to kind of um, be going on all this stuff, should you wait out or, or get going with marketing? No, I think you should market. I mean, if you look at a lot of what Silicon Valley talks about, they talk about, you know, the opposite. Of, I don't know if anyone remembers that film, The Field of Dreams, which is if you build it, they will come. Silicon Valley believes in the opposite, which is find out if they'll come, then build it. So I think uh, a bad problem to have is if you've built all these processes and systems, you've got nobody coming in. A great problem to have is when you've got a flow of clients and then you need to build the process afterwards. So um I think go out there, market, find your angle, and then build uh, build the processes in the back. Don't don't hold back. Put it out there. Another another really great benchmark I think is uh, Paul Graham, who's one of the greatest um, sort of startup guys in in the world. He says, if you're not embarrassed by your first attempt at whatever you're doing, whether it's a you know a marketing campaign or a tool, then you're you're waiting too long. One of the biggest mistakes people make is they come up with this great idea uh, and they work on it in the background, but the reality is most offerings, most business plans, they do not survive the first contact with the client. So get it out there. Just get it out there and, and uh, solve the problems as you go. Um, so Stuart, what do you think about how advisors can go about finding a great virtual assistant? How would they actually do that, do you think? I think there's probably, I mean, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend the, the business I use, which is Grow My Team. Uh, I'm not involved with them, but they've, they've, they've got a lot of insight into uh, financial planning. We work with a number of clients of mine and I really just like the way the guys work. They've got a team over in the Philippines. I think the Philippines is a great resource as well for a whole bunch of reasons. And they've got people on the staff over here. In terms of the hiring, there is a great book by, I think it's Jeff Smart called The Who. Uh, and it's the premise of the book is 70% of hires fail. And this has a process that you can apply through how you find clients, how you interview them, which switches that paradigm around. Which means that seventy percent of your your success, your your hires, succeed. And I think, uh, yeah, I think the real thing, if you're going to go for the VA, you've got to realise that uh, you need to give a lot of direction. You need to have some process, and you, yeah, you've got to go through the onboarding because I'd say it's actually harder to work with people overseas if you if you don't know what you want them to do than it is in the office. Great. And the regardless of who. Uh 
Yeah, I think so. I think another follow-up that I've just um, thought of is regardless of what company the advisors find their VA through, what are the things, like so kind of your top checklist of things that they should look for in a supplier or in a, in a freelancer that they can, you know, tick box of how will they know that they're going to be kind of a good VA? Uh, I, I always look for, I mean, communication is obviously a big one. Uh, if there's going to be a communication gap, then that's probably going to be a challenge to begin with. Uh, I, th I always look for someone that's, that's got a level of detail. And I think someone who, during the approach, I mean, once I pull up their resume, if it's detailed and it's structured, you kind of know straight away that you're going to be onto something. But um, as well as, frankly, if you're dealing with people overseas, the t making sure that they've got the right technology, they've got a good internet connection, you know, that's also something that you wouldn't normally think about, but it's really, it's really, really key. And uh, look, the final point I'd make is, Make sure you're dealing with – the reason I deal with growing my team is because they've got a whole structure about the way that they, they sort of help me manage the team um, via chat rooms and a resource, and I think that's also really, really important as well. The, the final thing I'd add is if you are going to use overseas staff, uh, it's really important to kind of look at your licensee requirements because different licensees have different sort of regulations about what can and can't be shared or used, and it's important, yeah, it's important you're aware of them before you go down that route. Great, and we did have another question come through, and I hope I'm pronouncing the name right. I think it's Natisha. Um, she asked that she's been doing some YouTube videos and getting about 30 to 40 views on each. Uh, should, should she persist and keep going with them, or do you think uh, maybe she should pivot and train, change her strategy there? It's, I mean, it depends on what she's if she's trying to do lead gen, and she enjoys doing it, and it's good content. I'd probably keep going. The the thing I people off. I, I think one of the things is if you've got good content, you need to get it understanding of that just because you posted it out on social media once it doesn't mean everybody see, saw it so sometimes it's okay to reuse content if it's if it's going to be relevant i look if she's enjoying it and she's getting uh, traction i keep going with it you know, youtube is growing people love video yeah probably one of the the, the recommendations i'd make is make sure when you're approaching uh, recording the video that you're giving people a really clear course of action so what's the next step What's the next thing they can do to engage with you or meet with you or, or get to know about what you're all about? Because a lot of people put marketing content out there and it's great content, but they don't really ask the client, they don't really ask clients, you know, what, what am I supposed to do next? Whether it's the next step is to book a call with her or download um, some of her content or come along to a webinar or a seminar. I think the really key thing is you, you, you lead people to know, if you like my stuff, do this thing next. And that's, that's how you link together the funnels. Thanks again. And thank you so much, Stuart. Thanks very much, Kelly, and thanks, everyone. Have a great uh, weekend, and, uh, yeah, see you soon. So there you have it, guys and girls. Uh, that's another podcast for uh, the week, Applying Silicon Valley Mindset. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're after more on this, by the way, go and check out our website, ourdairy.com.au. Yep, I know it's a, it's a bad name, but there's a story behind it, uh, and I love it. A-U-D-E-R-E.com.au and there's a whole bunch of information there on our blog about sort of this, how to apply it uh, from everything from service model design and delivery, marketing, finding your hot market, systems, processes, recruiting people. There really is such a dearth of a great information this ties into. Uh, a reminder, if this is your first time you've listened, don't forget to subscribe and then you'll find out when new 
masterclasses and also those those quick tactics come out. But other than that, if you have any feedback, by the way, there's anything you'd like to hear from or if you know somebody who you think would be absolutely tailor-made for jumping onto uh, one of these with me, sharing their story, alternatively something they're really good at, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at uh, help, H-E-L-P, at aldere.com.au. Otherwise, thanks again for listening and I'll see you on the next podcast. Bye.